You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. Q3 earnings for the Canadian banks come in strong again, beating the street by a comfortable margin. Manny Grauman, Managing Director covering Canadian Financial Services at Scotiabank, returns to the podcast to decipher the results and share his thoughts on the outlook for the Canadian banking sector. Hi, Manny. Great to have you back on the podcast. Great to be here again. Uh, Another busy bank earnings season uh, is in the rearview mirror, so it's always good to check in and to talk about what we learned from the banks this time around. And so what did we learn? How were the results? Well, first, I'll start high level. If you look at core EPS for the industry as a whole, it came in five per, up 5% quarter over quarter, and that's up 55% year over year, and uh, 11% better than consensus. So once again, credit uh, drove the beats, especially on a year-over-year basis. If you recall this time last year, the banks were still girding themselves for pandemic-related losses, and now with a lot of government support, a lot of vaccines being administered, the recovery is firmly on track, and and so those reserve builds are are coming back uh, into earnings, so that's definitely a big part of it. But if you look at uh, overall results excluding credit, so what we'd like to talk about is pre-tax, pre-provision earnings, they also came in ahead of the street, and so that's definitely an important feature of the result. I would say we're seeing consensus beats come down. They peaked uh, in Q1. They're not nearly as large as they were now as, as they were in Q1, but still quite elevated relative to the norm. Historically, we don't see an 11% uh, on average beat to consensus is still something much larger than what we typically see. Um, So that's uh, something I would definitely highlight just from a perspective of results versus expectations. There's still quite a big gap, even if that gap is definitely narrowing. How did you approach your analysis of the sector this time around? For a while now, we've been assuming that the banks deliver results that are better than what the street is assuming, and that's been a very good policy. So the beat versus consensus, as I mentioned, was 11%. It was 8% better than us. So we were closer to the bullseye, but still not quite there. One key area, I would say where I was expecting, not bad news, but I was definitely expecting credit numbers to be a little bit worse. The the reality is the banks uh, continued to be very, very positive on the outlook and credit uh, was a lot better than what I had uh, expected. So that was definitely one area of divergence where I have to say I was wrong. And in this case, sometimes you're, you're happy to be wrong. Yes, I would agree. Uh, going through the results then, what were some of the key stories that you, that you picked up on? So I'd really classify my key takeaways. Uh, really, I would say I have four key takeaways. First and foremost, coming into reporting season, we're definitely asking more questions about the rise of the Delta variant and whether that would derail the economic recovery that everyone was really getting excited about. And the reality is, is that the banks, one after the other, came out, their management teams came out and said that they continue to believe in the economic recovery and that it's still moving ahead. There might be some bumps along the way, but they all emphasized that we won't go back to the kind of lockdowns we saw earlier in the year. And so the economy won't get 
hit in in a fundamental way anymore. We're going to probably have to deal with the virus longer than we like, but uh, we have ways to manage it beyond shutting down the economy. Another key variable that all the banks cited was vaccination rates, especially in Canada, being very high. And, and so that also helps us uh, weather the variant storm, uh, as it were. So that's one key takeaway, uh, really, I would say, at the top of, of, of the list. In terms of the other three key takeaways, once again, Canada continues to be the star. Definitely, we know that the U.S. recovery from the pandemic uh, started ahead of us. We were lagging in terms of vaccinations. We've not only caught up, but we've exceeded the U.S. And the reality is, is that the Canadian economy remains very strong. The Canadian mortgage market in particular is really the underpinning here. So we saw very, very strong Canadian uh, residential real estate mortgage growth, and that really provided a, a very strong underpinning for, for the results. And so I say Canada remains the star. Third point is capital markets are more resilient than what we had expected. We definitely expected trading revenue in particular to be down on a year-over-year basis. We saw that from the Wall Street banks. We did see that in the Canadian banks, but to a loss, lesser extent than what we had expected. Uh, and offsetting that was underwriting. Investment banking really is very strong. There's a lot of deal making going on, and that is definitely helping offset some of that weakness. In many cases, we're seeing run rate earnings for a number of the capital markets units across the big banks really continue to be very uh, uh, strong and elevated relative to pre-pandemic levels, and that's likely to stick. And fourth, I would say regulatory risk uh, remains uh, higher than what the market assumed. We didn't really see too much of that in the results themselves, but definitely through earnings week, we got a, a liberal campaign pledge regarding taxes on, on banks and insurers. I don't want to get into the specifics, but I would say, broadly speaking to me, it has bigger picture implications. And the bottom line is that the bank's number one risk is really COVID, but you'd say number two is regulatory risk. Questions on both sides of the border around interchange fees, regarding overdraft fees, and the potential for higher taxation. So this is something I think all investors need to definitely watch very carefully and closely. And as I said, it is definitely um, something that is a key risk uh, for the sector. There's a lot of positives, but this is one, one key risk that is worth keeping an eye on. Do you have any concerns about the recent announcement of the Q2 numbers and the contraction in the Canadian economy? No, I mean, I think if you look at the, the GDP numbers that you're referencing, I think there's a lot of technical reasons for why uh, there was a disappointment. I think wildfires in, in British Columbia definitely had a, a, an impact and also supply shortages, which we know about. There's definitely stresses here and there uh, on the economy. But again, I think broadly speaking, it's very clear, not just from the bank commentary, mind you, but also from the results themselves, that there is a clear recovery going on in the Canadian economy. And, and I would say beyond as well, if you look at the international segments of, of the big Canadian banks, you see that as well. In Canada, if you look, mortgage growth is very strong. I referenced that already, but commercial loan growth is also very good the second quarter in a row. And if you look at credit card balances, they're still down year over year, but on a sequential basis, they're up. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of green shoots, if you want to call it that. There's a lot of hard data to suggest that definitely the recovery uh, is is moving forward, variants or not. We're closing in on the end of the fiscal year for the Canadian banks. We're coming to the end of the calendar year. 
what are you paying attention to right now? What are you going to be watching for? Well, I, I think we're still looking for the catalyst of return of capital. So as people may recall, uh, listening to this podcast, OSFI, at the beginning of the of, of the pandemic, OSFI basically put a moratorium on the banks and the life goes uh, as well, in fact, preventing them from raising their dividend or initiating share buybacks. That moratorium still holds. We're waiting for word of OSFI to allow the, the banks and, and the insurers to return capital to shareholders. My expectation is that that should come early in the fiscal year. So early in November, I, I think we'll start to see banks return capital to shareholders in, in a bigger way. And I think that will help the stock move forward. So that's one thing that definitely I'm looking forward to. I think we don't get any announcement on that until after the election. So it's still, uh, you know, call it two weeks away at least. Uh, I think it's going to be quiet until then. But that's one thing that I'm definitely looking forward to. Besides that, you know, I'm a big believer you, you keep it simple. It's, it's really about seeing that recovery continue to move forward, making sure the Delta variant or COVID as a whole doesn't throw us any other curveballs. And uh, and what I'm really looking for is just that sequential improvement. Quarter after quarter, I want to see the economy and, by extension, banks' loan books and, and bank performance continue to move from, as they say, from the lower left to the top right, just continue to improve. And, and that's really the focus here. Okay, let's talk names. Who were the top performers? Who underperformed? And do you have a new top pick? So we didn't make any recommendation changes. Our buys uh, remain consistent and our holds remain consistent. If you look at just evaluate the quarter on the quality of the results themselves, I think once again, you'd have to say BMO stood out as the strongest performing bank, followed by CIBC and National Bank. At the bottom of the pack, TD uh, is there at the bottom slot. Uh, again, I would say. But broadly speaking, I think that, you know, we talk about the kind of the rank order, but I would say broadly speaking, definitely uh, an encouraging result for the sector as a whole. In terms of the pecking order, we came into the quarter with Royal really as our favorite name. And that was partly a function of just the improving domestic results that Royal put up in Q2. Also very bullish commentary from bank management, from the CEO in particular, and the sense that they were really poised to uh, really benefit from the recovery. There's also a defensive element there as well. And, and especially coming into Q3, as I mentioned before, with the rise of the Delta variant, we're getting a little bit more concerned about that. So Royal kind of ticked both boxes. This time around, coming out of Q3 results, I would actually take Royal down a little uh, just on a relative basis and, and, and really put BMO up in that top spot. And partly it's a function of just remarkable performance and it's not just this quarter but you go back a few quarters for the year to date just to give you a sense of the magnitude again if we look at a sense of earnings growth uh, without the noise from credit on a pre-tax pre-provision basis earnings growth was up 21 percent for BMO on a year-to-date basis that's a really big number by far the top of of the group operating leverage for on a year-to-date basis plus seven percent you tend to not see these kinds of numbers so very very strong performance on top of that what i would highlight is that valuation for the bank remains very attractive and in fact if you look at how the stock has traded through reporting season despite being the best bank this quarter bmo has actually underperformed the, the stock has underperformed the peer group through earnings season and the discount relative to the peer group on a four-quarter 
next four quarter consensus earnings basis has only widened. So the, the stock is trading at a 6% discount uh, based on next four quarter consensus earnings. And uh, I just think that's mispriced. I think really valuation gives BMO the edge here. And so that really moves to the top of our pecking order right now. That was Manny Grauman, Managing Director covering Canadian Financial Services at Scotiabank. You can now find Scotiabank's Market Points on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And we want to hear from you. Please rate and review us. Your feedback helps us improve the capital markets content we create for you. You can also find more thought-leading content on our website, gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. I'm Greg White. Thanks for listening. This communication does not constitute investment advice or any personal recommendation to invest in a financial instrument or investment research. This communication is provided for information and discussion purposes only. An investment decision should not be made solely on the basis of the contents of this communication. It is not to be construed as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any financial instruments and has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any recipient. The information in this communication is based on publicly available information, and although it has been compiled or obtained from sources believed to be reliable, such information has not been independently verified and no guarantee, representation, or warranty, express or implied, is made as to its accuracy, completeness, or correctness. Past performance or simulated past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results. Forecasts are not a reliable indicator of future performance. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website.